0: Hey, welcome. You're listening to the Leader Like You podcast to inspire and help you get more of what you want, more of the time with less hassle, less resistance, and more buy-in in in all areas of your life. My name is Robert Kahn, coach, trainer, and consultant, also the creator of the Leader Like You method. I'm sitting down to bring you my thoughts and ideas and the lessons learned along the way and how to make a positive impact wherever you go. International Women's Day is March 8th, 2020, and you don't have to be a woman to commemorate the place women have played in your life. So on International Women's Day, I'd like to share my input and some stories of women who have played an important role in my life. First of all, growing up, there is my mother. My mom was instrumental in ensuring that we as a family a very Midwest, middle-class family, had living in our house people from all nationalities. Her dream was for us to speak and learn foreign languages. So we were connected to the outside world. And as it turned out, I did go out and learn, depends how you count them, anywhere between four and six languages. Anyway, aside from that, we had 13 people living with us all the way up until the time I was 18, and even through college when I was 22. In the 1960s, when I was just a little boy, I, I think I was about four, we had a nun living with us who had been attending a Catholic women's college, and she took care of us as kids, and I understood later in life that she had been doubting whether she wanted to take her final vows and While she was in doubt, she lived with us. And I still remember seeing her doing the Holy Rosary and reading the Bible. Now, not being Christian, I found this very interesting to learn what it was and to actually try it out myself. Literally, I was four years old. And eventually, the nun told my mom she didn't feel well in the order and she wanted to leave the order. And I remember my mom talking to the mother superior and talking to her family who lived... I believe, way out in the country, in Minnesota. And eventually, my mom felt strongly that this woman living in our house had developed shingles and was not happy in the order, stepped in to help her make the right decision. Though since she was under 21, the parents allowed my mom to sign the final papers, which I remember were all in Latin, That meant she left the order and then she continued living with us while she went to nursing school and eventually, happily ever after, married somebody she met in nursing school, I think was a hospital doctor. So with my mom still, she volunteered her time at a program that Lyndon Johnson, President Lyndon Johnson created in the 1960s called Head Start. The objective of Head Start, as far as I can remember, was that inner-city children could mix with suburban children and ensure everybody had a good meal, everybody had a health check, and that everybody learned skills that would literally give them a Head Start in kindergarten. And I recall the woman who ran the program was a wonderful woman named Gay Ponder. She was lovely. And I remember she invited my whole synagogue and her church to worship in my synagogue, which was my first connection to gospel, wonderful music. So early on, it was all about the word ecumenical. And by the time I was 18, we had a, we had, had a Japanese Shinto monk living with us. We had the Catholic nun. We had students from Argentina, Mexico, Germany, France, Peru, Norway, you name it. We've housed them. I've celebrated more holidays and commemorated more religious things. And it's funny, one just grows up thinking, this is the normal way of doing things. So when I left home, I realized it wasn't the normal way, and other people didn't have 13 foreign exchange students living with them. And to this day, I'm still friends with the student we had from Argentina. I'm still friends with the student we had from Peru. I'm still in contact with many of them. Another thing that was very interesting for me looking back was my mother was a cantorial soloist from the 1950s to the late 1970s. And a cantorial soloist in a religious setting was just not something women did back in the 1950s. Though for me, it was my normal, and growing up, I thought it was the way it was. Though when I left home, I realized that wasn't normal for everybody. A bit to my parents' chagrin, I was born with what one could politely call a wanderlust. And my mom, and my dad, of course, allowed me to feel my travel bug. They said, you can feed your travel bug. They told me, you can travel if you earn money, have a good plan, and stay safe. So I did. I went out and got jobs, shoveling snow, cutting grass, and I was always encouraged. I was never judged. At 15, I went to Mexico with my Spanish class on a one-week trip. I lived in Europe for two months at 16 and stayed with a friend who had actually been in my high school and moved to Belgium on on, uh, her father was transferred. And at 17, I became a foreign exchange student myself. So my mom and my dad, they never said, you can't do stuff. They said, okay, what's the plan? How are you going to do it? And my mom also taught me that great saying, when one door closes, three more open. Now, you have to remember that she would tell me this in moments of sheer devastation. Losing a girlfriend, losing a job, not getting this, not getting that. And she would tell it to me in this form uh, when I was in the form of disappointment where I wasn't happy. And over the years, I realized she's right. Let me go a bit further back on her side and talk about my great-aunt Sally. Now, my great-aunt Sally never married, though she had a social calendar full of lectures, lunches, bridge dates, and learning very interesting. She took in my brother and my sister and myself every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. So after school, we would take the bus, go to her house, and it was that one, one and a half hours where you would have your snack, and it was before walking across the street to religious school. So we had that good one and a half hours with her. Now, she had been a banker at Minnesota Federal Bank, and I think she worked in loans back in the 1930s and the 1940s when women barely even worked. I even recall she golfed, she vacationed on her own with friends, she wore a bikini before anybody else did it, and she did a few things that impacted me. One thing she really impacted me is she took us as children to the Minnesota Historical Society, where my family gave several cubic yards of documents on our family history. She took us to see my several times great-great-great-great-great-grandmother and great-great-great-great-grandfather, Amelia and Joseph Ullman archives. Now, Joseph Ullman came to Minnesota in the early 1850s. And he brought his wife Amelia to Minnesota in about 1852. And they arrived as pioneers in looking at the documents They first traded dry goods with the native people, and then they traded furs. And Amelia Ullman wrote a book called Life on the Prairie in the 1850s. And for me, she was a model of a strong, pioneering woman. Let's get back to Aunt Sally. Since she'd been a banker, she bought us children a small portfolio of what was then called In the 1960s dollar stocks to teach us about the stock exchange now she didn't just buy us and present us the stocks we looked at different stocks we wrote letters and asked for annual reports and pouring over these annual reports and remember i'm like seven eight years old up till the time i was like 13 years old and we decided what we wanted to have in our portfolio we tracked our portfolio on graph paper we looked at share prices price earning ratios Uh, We did then read the annual report, should we keep the stocks or not? And she did this because she wanted us to become business savvy at a young age. Now, the interesting thing is, I actually still own some of those shares today, and a few of them actually helped me finance construction of my house several years later. This Aunt Sally, never married, had a car, took us to concerts, museums, and she ensured we had a good dose of culture, followed by some good ice cream. She wasn't just my Aunt Sally. She was my friend and confidant. I remember one time she said in a sort of snobbish tone, Bob, dear, don't do that, don't say that. That's so ordinary, nobody does it. And I remember saying to her, well, Aunt Sally, if it's so ordinary, then why doesn't anybody do it? She laughed and said, you know, it's few people in the world who ever leave me speechless. And I guess I did, at that point in time, leave her speechless. She was a very good poet. And at her 90th birthday party, she lived till she was 96. So at her 90th birthday party, somebody said, Hey, Sally, make an impromptu toast. So she stood up, pondered her thoughts, raised her glass, and said, I'm not much of a drinker. Two is usually the most. Three, I'm under the table and I'm under the host. And with that, she drank her glass and sat down, leaving us all laughing and admiring. I've learned over the years that she was also instrumental in influencing my parents to let me go off and discover the world. And I believe through me discovering the world, she vicariously discovered the world through me. Interestingly enough... She was what was called a woman suffragette at the turn of the last century. And growing up, it was inconceivable that women could, at a point in our U.S. history, not vote. And that the ERA someday pass. The ERA is the Equal Rights Amendment. And it was inconceivable for me that men and women wouldn't earn the same salary for the same job. And by the way, I still can't understand today why we're not there. Small aside, my Aunt Sally's sister, my Aunt Dorothy, she was a bit of a different story. She was like Auntie Mame. She was a flapper in the 1920s, down in Chicago, danced the Charleston. She and her husband lived in a hotel most of their life. She even smoked. And I even heard from time to time, she drank during Prohibition. Shh. Don't tell anybody I said it. She was wonderful. And she taught me, live a little. Though stay cultured and stay intelligent. Moving fast forward to my career at Citibank, another woman who greatly influenced me was my leader at Citibank, Kitty Voracek, who showed me what great leaders actually do. And the balance of leading with likability versus leading with the heart and leading with a determined, though polite, approach at times, and getting what you need. We were in contact in the mid-1990s, and we're in still contact today. We're family friends. Now, Kitty, the daughter of a colonel in the U.S. Army, always called me by my last name, Kahn, Herr Kahn, or Mr. Kahn, due to the fact we worked in Germany together, and she respected me. She said... The moment somebody starts to work for me, it's either Mr. or Mrs. or last name. And I remember a gentleman that worked with us on this direct bank project we were working on. And from my perspective, he had a rather anti-woman approach to promotions and working world. And one day, Kitty called him in and asked him about his two daughters and then chatted with him about his dreams for his daughters. And at the same time, I believe... She educated him on the dangers of the glass ceiling. He listened, and he changed his approach. And after that, he hired the right candidate for the job, and I believe he instituted parity, male-female, in the hiring approach. As we come up on International Women's Day, I've been fortunate to recently interview a very courageous woman named Annie. Now, Annie's caring for my father as a personal care assistant. And just the other day, she and I sat down and I asked her about her life growing up in the southern U.S. where she told me she was a poor sharecropper's daughter and she told me a poignant story of courage, self-directed leadership, and stewardship in her family that meant she survived being one of the first African-American children going to an integrated Southern school. And she tells me what it was like living in the USA during what I would call our own apartheid. And I'm soon going to share some of what she told me, the lessons I learned from her over the next few months on the pod. As I became a father, I noticed in the playgroups we had the ways the dads would talk about their boys. And the way the dads would talk about their girls. And I've come to the conclusion that we tend to give our boys what we should probably give our girls and vice versa. I've told my children, you can do anything you want in life. You can be anybody you want in life. The only thing you can't be is president of the United States. And the only reason you can't do that is because you weren't born in the United States. And I've noticed at work that a man's behavior, which sometimes is appropriate and sometimes is not, could be seen as strident or forthright and a comparable and similar behavior for a woman on the same type of product could be called moody or even, excuse the term that I'm going to now quote by some people referred to as bitchy. So What I'd like to say as I wrap up on International Women's Day 2020 is to raise our voices to equality, to equal rights, to equal pay, to equal treatment, not only for women, is let's do it for all peoples, all genders, all ways of living, and all ways of working. So to the woman in my life, including my wife, who has been a bedrock of support for me, I would like to say, let's move forward and celebrate International Women's Day 2020. Thanks for listening. Leave your questions and comments and anything you'd like to talk about. And I look forward to hearing on the next pod. And remember, be leader-like. You've reached the end of another episode of the Leader Like You podcast. Connect with us at leaderlikeyou.com. And don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to receive the newsletter and our free materials. See you at the next episode.